1: Welcome to Felony Friday, a presentation of the Lions of Liberty podcast.
0: Here is your host, John Odermatt. Felons, friends, and freedom lovers, welcome back to another episode of Felony Friday, a weekly show right here on the Lions of Liberty podcast. Of course, Felony Friday is the only show, I think, that every single episode We focus on exposing stories of injustice in this nation's broken criminal justice system. Felony Fridays is one of three shows that we have here on Lions of Liberty. We kick off every single week with our Monday show hosted by Mark Claire. It's our longest running show, our flagship Program. I think we're approaching five years of that show, of that Monday show, and the content on that show. Mark interviews leaders in the Liberty Movement and he hosts roundtable discussions as well. Uh, Every Wednesday, we have our show hosted by Brian McWilliams. It is called Electric Liberty Land. It's an entertaining look at culture, comedy, and liberty. Brian's doing a phenomenal job with that show right there. You can get all three. Of these shows, of uh, the variety show that is the Lions of Liberty podcast, by subscribing to one feed, the Lions of Liberty podcast on uh, Apple Podcasts, Google Pod Podcast, Stitcher, Google Play, itunes or tune in any of those. Any of those are a a great way to uh, subscribe and get these great shows delivered to your phone um, first thing in the morning, so you never ever miss an episode so please be sure to do that. Today's episode this is an episode with a uh, recovering addict, a uh, f- uh, someone who has spent significant time uh, within tied up in the criminal justice system and now is a business owner. It's a great story and you're gonna love this episode. You can find all the show notes at lionsofliberty.com ff136 because this is the 136th episode of Felony Friday. Let's get to today's interview. My guest today on Felony Friday is Keith Bauer. Keith was born in Florida. Uh, he started using drugs at a young age and was first arrested at the age of 15 for drug possession. Over the years, uh, he moved around quite a bit and uh, he was in and out of jail and in and out of rehab. Keith now has been sober for almost five years and uh, he started his own business. He actually started the business while living in a recovery house. We'll definitely be going into uh, into that aspect of his story. And with Keith's business, he employs both recovering addicts and alcoholics. Keith, welcome to Felony Friday.
1: Hey, thanks. Thanks for having me.
0: Thanks for coming on the show, man. And uh, I was you were recommended uh by former guest on the show uh Chris Streisbach. He uh, connected us, so I'm thankful for uh for Chris for doing that. First to uh introduce you and for the Felony Friday audience to get to know really your story a little bit better. I want to go through the whole thing, but let's start really at the beginning. And uh you know, I mentioned in your intro there that you know, you first had your first run in with the law when you were 15 years old. So Leading up to that, what, what was your, your childhood like? What was your life like growing up?
1: I mean, I can't honestly say what normal is. It was normal to me, my childhood. You know, I grew up in a home in Florida with my mother and my father and I have two sisters. Uh, my grandparents lived very close about, you know, five miles away. So we were, we were always hanging out. There was a lot of love. I didn't come from like a broken home or or anything like that. Um, I usually say there's nothing that you can really point to in my childhood that is the reason you can say this is why this this man used drugs and alcohol, you know? Um, I uh, Like you said in, in the intro there, I did start using drugs or, as I like to say, experimenting with drugs at an at a early age. I had a, a good friend of mine had some older siblings and, uh, you know, I don't know if it was wanted to be like them or wanted to fit in or, but whatever it was, you know, they, they showed us the ropes, if you will. And that was in about sixth grade, um, started experimenting with marijuana, alcohol, and then progressed into prescription pills. Um, and it was all just kind of in my eyes at that point from the inside, looking out just a normal, just a normal childhood, you know, I had people around me, the kids around me were experimenting as well. Uh, it wasn't until I turned, Fifteen. I was fifteen years old when I had my first uh, brush with the law, and um, I guess it was a little bit more than a than a brush with the law, as I got uh, I got picked up for possession of a controlled substance, uh, like I said at the age of fifteen, and uh, I was uh, kicked out of school. So, what they did was uh, I had a court date, obviously, like that happens, and. At the court date, they gave me a, a plea deal, which I took. My family thought I should take because we really didn't know any better, honestly. Um, they offered me three years of probation. And uh, as a kid, I, I thought three years of probation is is fine. You know, it's better than what I thought I'd be going to, which would be like a, a maximum state penitentiary at the age of 15. So I took three years of probation and... Um, like I said, not knowing any better. I can remember some of the terms and conditions of my probation at 15 uh, where uh, I had to stay alcohol and drug free. Uh, Makes sense. Uh, I had to do some classes about drugs and alcohol, uh, random drug tests. And then I had a curfew of 6 p.m.
0: It's pretty ridiculous.
1: A little bit. Right. So, I mean, needless to say, it didn't matter if the probation was three years or three weeks. At 15 years old, I wasn't going to abide by all that stuff. What,
0: what was, just to go back, so it was drug possession. What was the drug?
1: Uh, it was uh, Xanax. Okay. So I was carrying that. I actually had it at school. Um, so I got picked up in school with that, and that's why I was kicked out of school. Um, yeah, so like I said, put on probation for, for three years, which you know I violated multiple times and uh, at that time they told me I needed to go to a what they call the juvenile program this was a, a six-month program uh, where I was in you know incarcerated with other juveniles uh, for breaking all kinds of various laws and you know I served uh, the full six months I turned 16 while I was in there they had um they had some drug classes that I had to take while I was in there which at that point in my life, you know, I didn't pay any attention because I didn't feel I had a problem. You know, at that point, I, my excuse always was, you know, uh, I can stop if I want to. I just don't want to. And I believed that at that time. So uh, that that's that's where I was.
0: So, Keith, at, at what point did you realize you're talking about you You thought, you know, you were just experimenting like like the other kids with drugs. At what point did you realize that you did have a problem?
1: <sighs> um not at that age, not at that time. Although like everything around me, uh, seemed to be, uh, crumbling, you know, relationships with my family, um, didn't really have any, you know, real friends and didn't uh, associate with any reputable people, you know, just, just, just bad living. I still didn't think I had a problem. I couldn't see like past it at that point. I was just, uh, I can say that the the benefits of using drugs and alcohol to escape were, at that point in my life, outweighing the uh, consequences.
0: You have this first three years of probation. Um, You were uh, violating it several times, right? So did you get – what happened next? Did you get picked up again for drug possession or –
1: Well, after after violating the probation, um, that's when I went to the six-month program. I got out of there, still on probation. And uh I did violate a couple times, um, but then I turned 18. So I was they released me from juvenile probation. Um, I wasn't carried over to adult probation. It was just kind of like, you're on your own now, you're an adult, go go and try to be a successful member of society. <laughs>
0: Yeah, no uh, they don't give you any form of rehab or anything like that. Just you're an adult now.
1: Just just go ahead. That, that's what it was for me. And that was my experience and and that was again in Florida, you know. But uh yeah, like you said, there was no treatment, there was no follow up classes once they they um, terminated my probation. So I, I continued to go on about my life uh as I was, you know. Um so I ended did, up- you,
0: did you graduate high school?
1: I actually, you know what? When I got out of the um, the program, I actually did get my GED. Um, I didn't grow, I didn't graduate high school. I was kicked out, like I said, uh, about ninth grade. So I uh, got my GED. And, and so uh, you're
0: you're eighteen. You're out of the program. Um, mm-hmm. Where do you go from there?
1: Where I go from there? That is, um, I met a I met a woman down in Florida who was from Pennsylvania, uh, Chester County, and she was down. In Florida, uh, trying to get sober actually. And we linked up and uh, it didn't go very well. But she came to me and she said, Look, I'm not from here. I want to move back to Pennsylvania. And I told her, Well, you know what? Florida is clearly my problem. Everybody here doesn't like me. The cops know my name. Um, I've never been to Pennsylvania. Let's go together. So that's how I ended up in Pennsylvania. Um, So I moved to PA and actually moving here was, we had this like thought of, we're going to get sober together and we're going to try to live a successful life, which, which didn't work immediately. Um, something really cool did happen though. When I moved here uh, about a year after moving here, uh, we had uh, we had a, a son. So my son was born now in my eyes and in my mind, this is what I was waiting for. I was waiting for a reason to stop the cycle that I had been going through to stop using drugs to stop going to jail, to stop going to rehab and having a a child was, was it, Uh, as much as I wanted it to be, it, it unfortunately wasn't, you know, um, I can say that through, through my life, um, the amount of time that I was using drugs and alcohol, I had tried to quit on my own plenty of times. Uh I tried every every maintenance program, every I'm only gonna, you know, drink occasionally and, and all that stuff. Um any other drug acts or alcoholics know exactly what I'm talking about. Uh but it didn't work. Um, you know, I ended up taking care of my son for, for a couple of years and then some old uh old charges caught back up with me and I got to visit my first Pennsylvania jail. Um which uh you know not too different from florida um uh, however the one thing that i did experience which is uh i just remember this due to overcrowding now my charges are all non-violent charges they're possession they are you know thefts uh, stuff like that all things i was doing to support my habit right and due to overcrowding apparently uh i got sent to a maximum security uh, block in the jail which was horrible honestly you know i was i was in in an area with with real hardcore criminals which i was not uh they were all talking about like what they had done um some pretty some pretty bad things and you know the question comes up hey what did you do and then and all these big you know tough guys are asking these questions and like, what am i going to say oh I got, I'm on this, in this jail because I had drugs in my pocket, you know, I'm in this jail because I stole some money so that I could put drugs in my pocket. You know, it just, it didn't feel right. You know, honestly, um, I didn't get like, uh, any, I just think honestly, like, you know, I went to jail for all these drug charges. It's obvious that I have a problem with drugs and there was nothing to, to help me in the jail, you know? Uh, so, Again, I got out. Um, did you still
0: have while well, you were in jail? Did you have access to drugs?
1: Um, yeah, actually, there was there was access to drugs. Um, you know, we smoked cigarettes and, and did some drugs and stuff like that, even though it was all banned. But
0: mm-hmm. that's—I mean—that's a common thing I hear. Is that it's you know you you would think, and that's that's another example of why prohibition obviously doesn't work. I mean, you have a jail you would think one area where they could keep drugs out of they can't even do that
1: exactly so i don't know just to go go on a little bit like here um you know uh another another uh monumental moment in my life is is getting out of that jail like i said there was no classes, nothing to prepare me to um release me back into society as a someone with obvious, a clear problem. Uh, so again, I, I, I relapse almost instantaneous from getting out, you know? Um, and at this point, you know, the family is, is around and, you know, I lose my son out of my life, you know? Um, which was a, a very, uh, tough, tough thing for me, you know? Um, but again, it didn't, it didn't, it didn't shake me to the core. It didn't, you know, there wasn't, you know, the moment of, Hey, this is, this is it, man. Cool off. You know Uh, I'd end up, uh, you know, violating the probation that I was on. And I actually had a probation officer this time who, who told me uh, I could go to treatment instead of going to jail, you know Um, which was, which was actually not the first time I had heard this and it wasn't my first treatment facility. But previous in my life, the, like any time a probation officer would tell me that, uh, I would obviously choose to go to treatment. And then being in treatment, I wouldn't really pay attention. I wouldn't really listen. You know, they could have helped. I'm sure they would have helped. But all I heard when a probation officer told me is you can go to treatment instead of going to jail was go to treatment and you don't have to go to jail. So, but something really cool happened this time, right? I went to I went to this treatment center and... Um, when i got when i was getting released they released me to uh, to a, a halfway house okay now going to the treatment center and going to the halfway house uh, i did uh, maintain some sobriety for I, I think about six months at this point but it wasn't you know the the, the treatment center that that kept me sober what it did actually was it, it introduced me to something that i didn't even know existed and that was a whole community of people trying to recover, and and that was that was a changing moment in my life. You know, um, that is not the the moment I got sober, um, but it opened a door which, like I said, I didn't even know existed.
0: Because you were just surrounded by people who were going through the same struggle as you. You could you could relate to them. Yes, yes,
1: exactly. People just like me going through the same exact things, trying to most uh, most of them actually where I wanted to be, which was living, you know, clean, sober, happy lives. So those are the guys I latched on to uh, for, you know, for a few months before uh, I got my old, uh, you know, some so I still hold on to some ideas and add some things and, um, you know, had other things in my mind that were what I thought to be more important in my life than maintaining sobriety. So, um, I, I ended up slipping there and I I fell off and, uh, you know, I, uh, I stayed, I stayed away from those people for about three years of my life, you know, and I continued to get into trouble. Um, again, you know, arrested on some nonviolent charges and, you know, Did
0: you have any, uh, What was your employment situation during this this whole period?
1: (laughs) My friends joked about it because when I got sober almost five and a half years ago, um, you know, they'd all say, "Well, what are you good at? What have you done before?" And it's like, I have no resume. (laughs) I have no resume because nothing that is it could go on a resume is worth putting on there. Everything was like uh, a week of work at like uh, Boston Market or. You know, I worked at the giant grocery store for a couple months. Or My employment history usually um, went like this. I'd show up to my first day of work. I'd work for about a half a day. I would leave, and then I'd come back like two weeks later and be like, what, somebody owes me $63. <laughs> That's what my employment history was. Um, I, I just uh, spent most of my time, like, supporting my habit.
0: So... You said that you, uh, you know, you you met these guys when you were in that halfway house, then you left and you went back to old habits. Mm-hmm. What what happened from there and what I mean, did something eventually click or what was it that that really sent you down a path to recovery?
1: Like I said, going to that halfway house and meeting those people was a pivotal point in my life. Um, I stayed away from from those people for about three years um, I ended up calling my family back in Florida cause I had nowhere else to go. I was kicked out of anywhere that would, uh, even think about letting me stay over or anyone would think about letting me stay over. And I called my family down in Florida and, um, I actually told them that I was doing well and they're 1500 miles away. Where do they know? You know, so they wanted to believe I was, so they allowed me to come back and they let me stay in their house. So I moved back to Florida, uh, 29 years old. Living in my mother and father's house, um, and I'll tell you what, man, I went there with all the intentions in the world to, to stay sober. I wanted to be a good, good son. I wanted to be a good brother. You know, I wanted to learn how to be a good father. Um, but uh, that—that's not the case. Uh, I went down there, and I just continued the same old habits. And, and it's that—it's that cycle that we we hear being talked about. You know. Um, And and I was stuck in it Um, until the point I came home um, one day and my mother and father were uh, called me into the to the room. We all sat at the table and they, you know, mom's crying those same tears that she'd always cried. And she said, uh, you have to go. I said, "Well, you know, mom, I I I left at a young age. I know I know where to go and what to do. And she said, no, you, you have to leave Florida. And I was, I was a little taken back, John, because I've never been kicked out of a state before. <laughs> so, um, you know, I, I said, you know, what am I going to say? You know, she said, we'll drive you to the airport tomorrow. And, and they, they did. And I got back on a plane and I, I came back to Pennsylvania. Uh, I stayed in a few shelters. Um, I stayed in some strangers' homes. Uh, Just to
0: go back for a minute, I'm curious. What was? Do you know what the reasoning was? Why your parents thought they thought it was better for you to leave the state of Florida?
1: Or they could clearly see what I was into. Mm -hmm. They could clearly see what I was bringing into their home. They could clearly see things starting to disappear from their own home, you know. And that's the cycle, you know. But uh, I got back on a plane. I came back to Pennsylvania. Like I said, I ended up staying with strangers. Um, and in shelters, and then I got to the point where I was living in Philadelphia and my last recollection, and this is right before I, I went to my last treatment center and got sober, I was sleeping on a, a tile floor with no sheets, no pillows or anything curled up in a corner because it was, you know, March. And, uh, I said, I got to, Something's got to change. I got to do something. I got to at least go to treatment again. Um, people were telling me to go to treatment again uh i declined many a times because i'd been there i had done that what am i going to hear that i hadn't heard before um but i got in i got into a treatment center and i detoxed from the drugs and i went to the groups and then i had a counselor who asked me what i wanted to do next and um you know i told her i told her the same thing that i told every other uh, counselor before and that is I'm okay, I have a place to go, a safe place to go. I'm just gonna go home. But in reality, John, I didn't have a home. And she didn't know any better because she didn't really know me for more than a couple of weeks, because that's all I could get funded for at that point. And um, so she said, okay. And then, you know, I don't know why, but uh, I left her office and then I came back to her office and I knocked on the door and I, I said, listen, I said, I don't have a home to go to. And she said, you know, come on in. And this woman listened to me and she talked to me and she didn't actually one time tell me what I have to do, which was different, you know? And she said, what do you want to do? And I told her, I said, listen, um, back in Lancaster County a couple of years ago, I met some guys. Some of them were, these guys were all doing, uh, you know, what I want to be doing. They're all living good lives. Um, some of one of them owns a recovery house. I've never, you know, really lived in a recovery house, but I, I'd like to, uh, to give them a call. And she said, okay, well, recovery houses cost money. Do you have any money? And I laughed <laughs> and I said, no, I have negative dollars. You know, I don't have any money at all. She said, well, you know, what do you want to do? I said, let me just give him a phone call. Uh, so I gave the guy a phone call. Uh, he answers the phone. He doesn't. He didn't uh, remember me right away, but as soon as I explained to him who I was and how he knew me and where he knew me from, his tone and his voice and his demeanor just absolutely changed. He was like so happy to hear from me, which was something I don't really get that. I wasn't getting that often at that point in my life. Um, I told him where I was and what was going on, and I said, you know, I didn't have any money, but if there's any way he could let me back into a a house, uh, I would pay him back, I promised. And uh, he said, uh, is your counselor there? And she was on speakerphone. And he said, call me the day before he gets out. We definitely have a bed for him. And that was amazing to me that somebody would welcome me in with open arms, without a dollar, wanting nothing from me. And, um, you know, I entered that house in May of 2013 and uh i lived there i lived in that recovery house for some time um i got a a job at a it took me forever but i finally found a job and i got a job at a factory literally 5 minutes from the house walking cuz i didn't have a vehicle and it was a horrible job there was no heat there was no air conditioning um you manufactured metal buckets that's what i did for a living for a year and it was just torture really but I did. I got, I woke up every day and I went to work and I did it because I really had no other option. Um, you know, I'm managing this guy's recovery house and a buddy of mine lives in the house and he was looking for a, a new line of work. And he said, we should start a business. I said, listen, man, I've only been sober for about a year. Uh, I have zero job experience. You know, uh, I know nothing about running a business. Um, and the owner of that recovery house he said hey man i'll help you guys out a little bit and he helped us get started and you know that was was like four years ago four and a half years ago and um you know today um i'm co-owner of a new life kitchens and bass uh which is amazing incredible and just baffling to me at the same time um and it all just like started from, you know, being given a chance, which is, which is pretty cool. I think.
0: That is really cool. So take us through, I mean, you have this or uh, your friend and you have this idea to start this business. Um, The the guy who owns the recovery house helps out a little bit. I mean, did you, how how did you get from point A, the idea to point B to actually starting the business?
1: (laughs) it all happens so fast. I wish I could break it down and give you the blueprint, but just, just willingness, honestly, willingness to do something greater than us. You know, uh, we were two recovering drug addicts. Um, and we just started marketing, you know, we just started marketing saying, you know, it a small, at the time it was the beginning, it was a small painting and repair company. So we were going to do painting and small repairs. And then people would you know, have us come into their home to do some, some painting and they would say, hey, I need new cabinets or I need new flooring. And it kind of just snowballed from there. And you know, from going from a small painting and repair company, you know, hiring needing more help. So hiring other recovering drug addicts and alcoholics and giving them a chance, like somebody gave us is what we did. And we've grown from that small painting and repair company to a fairly successful, I would say, um, company with uh, three divisions. We have a general contracting division, we have a kitchen and bath design and build division, and we have the painting division as well. So that's kind of, that's kind of where it is now.
0: That's great. And this is all in really four, four years or five years that you've. This is about four years. That's, that's, a, that's incredible. So, what do you? I mean, what do you attribute that entrepreneurial success to? I mean, you didn't have a background in uh, really entrepreneurship. Do you think that you're sort of, sort of just just a natural, and you just kind of hit that point where your where work ethic just took over, or what do you attribute it to? Uh,
1: I'd like to say I, I would like to say that it comes naturally to me, and I just have a mind for business. Uh, but I don't think that's one hundred percent true. Um, I listen to a lot of people that are where I want to be and um, I keep a lot of good people close to me who give me direction, who can say, Hey Keith, this, this might not be the right thing to do, even in life and in business. Um, And I take direction. Um, And there's also definitely, um, definitely a a no quit attitude, you know, a a refusal to, to fail, you know? And oddly enough, the more that I try to help others around me and, and hiring um, recovering drug addicts and alcoholics, like the work just keeps piling in. We don't really fight for it. So, you know, strong believer, if you do well, you know, good things come back to you. So.
0: That's really cool. Um, I mean, this, this is a great, a great ending. And you, I mean, you have a lot of, a lot of great things ahead of you too, but kind of looking back on, you know, what you went through struggling with addiction and um, spending time in the criminal justice system. And really that being a, another hurdle that was put in front of you didn't help you. Right. So in your opinion, what way or what sort of policies would you like to see put in place at either the state level or local level that could help somebody that was on a similar path to you to get to or to expedite to where you are now, where you can own a business and Add value to society.
1: Um, well, as you said in the beginning, uh, you talked to, to Chris Dreisbach, who's a, a good friend of mine. We were hanging out earlier today, and uh, a lot of the things that that guy's trying to do, uh, and that his company Blueprints is trying to do, uh, is the jumping off point. You know, informing police, uh, the people who come in contact with the the addicts and alcoholics, usually first, on how to handle the situation. Um, is is a great jumping off point. Um, decriminalizing things as, as best we can, I think, is a is a great idea. Um, as far as the the criminal justice system and all that, I really don't know. Um, you know, I do, however, wish when it comes to like starting a business and jumping right into that, I wish someone would have told me about the uh, the immense taxes the government was going to be hitting me with on a yearly basis. Um, so a bit uh, almost criminal if you ask me but it's uh, criminal it is criminal i think some people might that.
0: agree so yeah i'm a uh you know i'm a libertarian this is a, a libertarian show um you know each of our shows on this uh podcast network are a little different but we're all libertarians and libertarians say taxation is theft at, at the end of the day it it is theft because if you don't pay it you don't pay your taxes you don't pay your tax bill Someone's going to come to your house from the government. They're, they're going to come to your house with a gun, and if you don't give them money, they're going to take you away. So they are stealing money from you at, at gunpoint, ultimately.
1: That is that is a uh, true statement, to say the least.
0: But that's, that's the society we live in, so we have to deal with that at this point and work through the uh, political process to hopefully change that eventually and reduce it as much as we can, but... Um, that's why we do shows like this and uh, talk about people like yourself who have, you know, who are really creating, adding value to, to society through entrepreneurship, setting that example. So I just wanted to give you an opportunity to talk about, um, just give some advice or uh, offer any words of wisdom to maybe uh, somebody out there who's watching or listening, who maybe they themselves are struggling with addiction or maybe they know someone, have a loved one, have a loved one who is struggling with addiction. Any uh, words of wisdom for for those people?
1: Uh, well, you know, in closing, uh, you know, I don't think I would be doing my job if I I didn't say if anybody wants to uh, help support our company, a New Life Kitchens and Bass, we do ship our cabinets nationwide. You can contact me at 717-287-6968. But uh, I think more importantly, uh, if there's anybody who's struggling with drug and alcohol addiction, or anybody that knows anybody struggling with drug and alcohol addiction, and they think you know they're at their bottom, or they think you know things are just getting worse, and they think that nothing's ever going to get better, uh, I promise you there is hope. Um, and if you need to reach out, or you need to be pointed in the right direction. Uh, please do not hesitate to contact me at that number that I just gave you, or I'm sure John would love it if you contact him as well. And we can definitely put you in touch with the right people.
0: Yeah, ab- absolutely. Um, people can reach out, to, reach out to me through my show's email, FelonyFriday at com. I can, I can connect you with, with Keith or you know, any of my former guests would be happy to talk to you uh, as well. And I'll definitely link to... Uh, a new life kitchen and bath A link to your uh you have a website i'm sure too or yes i link to the website and, and then put the phone number there for that stuff and just want to thank you keith for uh for coming on the show and, and sharing your story
1: all right john well thank you for having me we
0: don't rise to the level of our expectations we fall to the level of our training Those epic words from Archilochus can sum up your ability to succeed or fail in business. I want to recommend Conversation Mat Time to our listeners as a way to hone your one-on-one conversation skills in a role-playing session that can help take you to the next level. During 25-minute sessions, you'll work through the best way to approach that raise, that interview, or that relationship with a practice professional that will provide the confidence and experience you need to get paid what you're worth or take that interpersonal risk you've never been able to conquer. Just like in jujitsu, the difference between a novice and a black belt is mat time. Train to win. Visit conversationmattime.com and take advantage of a free 15-minute consultation just for listeners of the show. Hope you guys enjoyed today's episode with Keith Bauer. Uh, You know, it's always great to have a guest on uh, with a positive story. And I've had a lot on over the many episodes I've done um, with both positive stories like Keith's today, and we've had several great ones recently on these last few episodes. But you know, I've also had some uh, some sad stories, uh, some stories of struggle. So I always enjoy and it was great talking with Keith, hearing really everything that he'd been through and the success he's having right now, owning his own business and working to uh, help other people. Other addicts, other people struggling with addiction, alcoholism, things like that, um, to uh, add value, contribute to, to society by um, working for his business, working for his company. So that's that's great. That is great to see. And you know, one of the things that I hope to accomplish with this show, that I hope to accomplish with Felony Friday, is for people who find this, maybe they stumble upon it on YouTube, uh, maybe they find it uh, when they're scrolling through their uh their Apple Podcast or Google Podcasts or whatever, and they find this show maybe they're struggling with addiction, maybe they have a problem, and they find someone like Keith like Keith Bauer, who has been through these struggles and is having success today, so just a shining example and you know, through doing this show, through um, campaigning for libertarian candidates, through working as Dale Curran's campaign manager, I come across a lot of people on the internet who have some very not so friendly things to say about addicts, about drug addicts, about alcoholics, about people like that, people who've gone through, are currently going through those struggles. And I like to point to stories like Keith and you know, putting uh, really the libertarian principles aside, we're obviously as libertarians we think you we know uh, the principle that you own your body and you can ingest whatever you want to in your body. Not to say that we advise everyone do this. You know, don't abuse your own body. We're not we're not advocating for that. But the point of me going down this road is to say that you know there's this throwaway culture, especially the people, older people on the right, older conservatives who ah, just get rid of the addicts. We don't need them. Let them rot away in jail. That's insane. And that is really um, not a empathetic way to look at this and not really the even, even the most e- economic way, the most valuable way to look at this. We should want, anybody should want, all human beings should want other humans to be successful, drive success, and help um, to add value to both their own life and to others' lives. That should be the ultimate goal. So that's why I love having people like Keith on to really show, be that shining example. This, this is exactly um, what anyone can become no matter what struggles you've had in the past. So thank you to Keith for coming on. A couple more notes. Uh, you can be a supporter of this show. You can help us grow larger, reach, reach a wider audience. You can join the Lions of Liberty Pride by going to patreoncom slash support and you can be a Pride member and for a little, for as little as $5 per month you get access to all our bonus content. If you want to get some uh, merchandise like the shirt I'm wearing wearing here today which is showing backwards, I think. Uh, people watch on YouTube, maybe not, but it says no victim, no crime, no victim, no time. It is the Felony Friday shirt and you can find it, you can either buy this shirt itself at lionsofliberty.store or by joining the Pride for $10 and up, you get some free merchandise with your uh, Pride membership, and you can get this shirt that way as well. So check that out, patreoncom lines of liberty. That's all I got, guys. Thank you so much for listening. Uh, this is another great show today, another great guest. So this is John Oder Matt signing off. Always remember to keep your head up and the fires of liberty burning.